This is Rugger Matrix America. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Alex Goff from Goff Rugby Report. Rugger Matrix America brought to you by Eagle Impact Rugby Academy. You can see what I've got to say on Goff Rugby Report. You can see what Pat Clifton has to say at RugbyToday.com. And Pat's with us this week. And as is Bruce McLean. And we've got a big show, big hard-hitting show for you uh, to wrap up 2016 and look into 2017. And uh, first off, guys, big New Year's plans, or is it uh, you know take it easy and just hang out and watch TV? Well, I just isn't it? Aren't they doing the purge this year? I thought that was. <laughs> you mean like we're just going to kill as many people in 2016 yeah. as we could, and you just you got a day, you just go out and get oh it done. God. I thought that's what was that's good. the purge. Um, are you purging, Bruce? What are you purging? No, I, I stay home. I have, and I watch TV with my kids. I, I actually do security at the building right where the ball drops. So if I really wanted to, I can go to a party on the 22nd floor, walk downstairs, the ball would drop right in front of me. Wow. Had a police escort from the right by the garden at a bar where there's a party. Right up on a right up on a bus, right to the building. But the reality is, I have zero interest in going into New York City at uh, on New Year's Eve. I've worked it a zillion times, never liked it, and I will be lucky to be awake at midnight unless my kids are. And unlike tonight, where we will definitely be awake at midnight. That's true. That's true. When's when's the last time, Bruce, that you either drank out of a champagne flute or? Wore like a black tie to a party. Well, if it wasn't a wedding, and 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 even when I when there are black tie weddings, I generally don't wear a tux, and uh, or black tie parties, I generally won't wear a tux. Um, drinking out of a champagne flute, I almost never do the champagne toast. I would almost always drink beer or booze or whatever I'm, or not drink, whatever I'm, whatever I'm not doing. Okay. Well, uh, all right. So, so, you know, I'm with you, Bruce, about, um, about the big parties and especially the idea of going into a big city and, you know, a few bigger than the New York city and trying to get out on a day like that, you know, I'd, I'd probably just stay and hide, but instead I sit in a, in the darkness that is my neighborhood where there's, you know, just trees and Sasquatch and, and doomsday preppers. And, uh, uh, we can enjoy that. And actually I will tell you that my, one of my neighbors has chickens and when they let them out, the chickens come over to our house, uh, to eat my bird seed. And one of them has taken a shine to me and follows me around the house. When I go outside, it follows me around. So do you have a name? Uh, well, actually, we did name all of This is a new chicken, so we haven't given this one a name. But we had called the other ones Carmelita, Juanita, and Nolita. So I, I don't know what we're going to call the uh, the fourth one who's following <laughs> me around. Um, but of course we named them. I mean, what else are you going to do? Um, You're going to have the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria now? Yeah, that may be. I think they're getting more chickens. So Because they've suddenly realized that... Uh, Feeding the chickens doesn't cost anywhere near as much as they thought. Is because they're coming over uh, to our house and eating all our stuff, <laughs> uh, and we don't mind. It's it's like having chickens without actually having to do any work. But uh, at one point, it followed me to an area that it's not supposed to be in, and I, I was wearing gloves at least. But I, I just picked the chicken up and threw it, and it and it flapped its wings a little bit, landed, and then just kept following me around. Are you like Rocky? I, Burgess Meredith says. You're a greasy, fast, two hundred pound Italian tank. <laughs> I'll tell you something. That chicken was really easy to catch. So I don't know. Maybe it's just a, maybe I'm, I am lightning quick. Who knows? Um, hey, we got a show to do, and I think that everybody I got would. A question about chickens. Okay, good. Yeah. Do you, do you get raw, unpastured eggs? Uh, I I have. I've actually had sometimes the chickens come over and have laid eggs in our yard, and we do uh, we have eaten them. Excellent. Yeah, um, and they were, they were really good. So, 
Uh, we got a show to do, by the way, and I think that our, our listeners really would be interested. Uh, they, they'd probably send us a sternly worded note if we didn't talk about this topic. The big topic coming out in the, the end of the fall, the beginning of the winter, has been the implosion of pro rugby. This is something that I think if you listened between the lines on this show, you knew that that you might have understood that we knew some things that really we weren't super comfortable in talking about without all the information. Um, the person to blame for that is me. Uh, I, I think that Pat and Bruce, A, knew more than I did, and B, wanted to say more than I wanted them to. Um, the the sources that I had received, uh, you give me information, had done it off the record. I didn't feel comfortable going with a story that was completely from off the record uh, sources. Pat, uh, you have an article on Rugby Today that um, that is a terrific article, and I think that is one of those things where it, it, um, I apologize if I sound condescending uh, because I did feel like I, for a while I was a little mentor to you um, many, many years ago. Not now, but it made me – it did my heart good to read that article and to read read the work that you'd put into it and the journalism you'd put into it. And and when people think that journalism is just uh, making stuff up and you know just you know being sensational, it's not. Um, it's real work and it's due diligence. And I think you did a great job. Well, thank you. I'm yeah, very appreciative, you. not condescending at all. And just uh, I don't I don't think people know what goes behind it. You know, um, when you realize that. I mean, the reality is. I've already been threatened to be sued over it. Uh, thought that was going to happen going in. And so there's all sorts of things that you kind of have to back yourself up on when you know that there's the shadow of litigation uh, over a story. And so it takes a lot of due diligence and a lot of work and a lot of time to get that all done. And, uh, you know, none of us are uh, getting paid Adam Schefter money to write about rugby or cover rugby in the United States. So, um, yeah, I just don't think a lot of people understood what's really behind it and then what, what you have to do to uh, to feel comfortable writing those uh, stories and, and feel lawsuit-proof. Well, that that's, that's the big good. thing, and that's that's the issue that we were, we were talking about, about being lawsuit-proof. You can still be sued, <laughs> right? Even, no, if, if you, even if you have the best case in the world, you can still be sued. Um, but there there's some – you know, you back that up. As a as a journalist, and if you show that you, that you made your effort to be to be accurate, um, and what people don't understand about journalism is that if you talk to a reliable source and that reliable source lies to you, and you print what they said, you're protected because you had reason to, you know, it was a source. You you credit that source. Now, if somebody lies to you off the record, uh, your be it behooves you as a journalist to go check that out. Uh, and right. you should check things out. You should double source stuff as much as you can. Um, but certainly, if somebody tells you something off the record or background, you don't you don't just run with it without checking. It. Obviously, you checked on your stuff. Obviously, you had uh, we you know you're talking about the legal issues there. Um, and I and I really encourage people to go to Rugby Today and look at the articles on on Pro Rugby. I think that uh, good shot. But we but it was a, a good thing they should do. We will synopsize some of the stuff you you talked about. Um, and I guess maybe we should do that now. Um, leading into it, there were grumblings for quite some time from people about the league. Um, we talked about it in previous shows. Bruce, you talked about it. Uh, the fact that um, the contracts were all year long, but they only played for half the year. So what's going to happen what protection is there for players? Uh, can they get cut or, or dismissed or fired or terminated, whatever you want game uh, the name you want to give it, uh, after the season, and suddenly they didn't get paid what they w- were expecting. Um, there were some grumblings about organizational problems, and we talked about it in a previous show. And Doug Schoeninger addressed it to you, Pat, about uh, late payments, being late on things. Schellinger, in his previous uh, audio that we had on the show, kind of 
dismissed it and said, yeah, yeah, I was late in a few things, but hey, that's the way things go. Um, I think I think it seems like it was bigger than that. So uh, building into that, Pat, what we what did you start looking at? What did you see? Well, to be honest with you, when I started digging in was the time, um, I don't have the exact dates in front of me, but it was, I think it was October 19th um, or around about that time that people from all over the league got paid except for anyone from San Francisco. So people from Sacramento, Denver, all, you know, people from all those teams got paid. No one from San Francisco at the time got paid. And, you know, that plus the Steve, that came not that long after Steve Lewis um, exiting. Um, and it just so happened that it uh, coincided pretty well with the end of my season. So I was able to spend more time on it. And that's when I really kind of dug into it and, started asking the questions and, and, and started getting some answers. But I'll be honest with you. I mean, I probably worked on this for the better part of eight weeks. And for seven of those weeks, no one was really willing to go on record. They're willing to tell me stuff background and tell me what's going on, but you know, don't print it. You can't attribute my name to it. Um, and, and mostly because they were all still hoping for a, a positive end result. Um, you know, they were either a player hoping that they would get paid or they were a coach hoping the players would get paid or they were hoping, you know, maybe there is going to be a season two and this thing's going to be great. And I don't want to poison the well with my employer. So everybody was kind of just waiting to go on the record and then enough time passed and enough time passed and more time passed. Then the news came out about San Francisco being dropped, um, and then I think that raised some red flags for people. And, and, and at the time that that happened, I had already gotten some people on the record, but it just kept rolling and getting more and more people on the record. And we, we'd heard the stories of people not being paid, but the reality is most of the stories that revolve around people not being paid didn't really start to actually become the stories that they are until after the end of the season. Because he paid most everybody during the course of the season as far as players, but paid people um, – you know, non-vendors. He, he was late, though. He was late a lot of times, right? I mean, the, the... He, was late, he was late a lot. I tallied it up. I went through, and, and I don't have it in front of me, but it was like the first Wednesday, second Wednesday. For a while, it was the first and third Wednesday of a month, and it started to get a little bit of a pattern. But then it was like the third Thursday and the fourth Friday, and it started kind of bouncing around and, and, and being later and later to where people didn't even really know when their payday was. They just knew they were going to get paid twice a month. And we talked about and that in the previous, I'm sorry. We talked about that in the previous show where we discussed that players on the lower end of the, the payment spectrum here in, on the, on the, in the league, uh, you know, they're getting like a paycheck half, half a month with, you know, withholding on of paycheck is like my 600, 700 bucks. And that pretty much bounces out, to your rent with maybe a few dollars over for your food. So there, if you're late being paid, you're late with your rent is what, what oh, can happen. Oh, yeah. Late with your rent, late with your uh, um, payment, you know, late with your, uh, uh, your student debt, your student loan bills, you know, all sorts of things. I mean, stuff that nobody, like, if, if, if Bruce never paid any of his security guys on time, any of his employees on time, Never did. And they never knew when they could get a paycheck so they could, you know, get things that require bills to be paid. How often, how long would those people continue to work for them, right? So in any other industry or business or situation, I don't think most of us would have put up with it. So it starts to come out uh, uh, that, that things aren't good, um, that the – you know, essentially, the San Francisco team has been fired. They talk about it being uh, a venue issue. Um, that's the official reason. I don't think people necessarily buy that as you know the the main the real reason. Um, and then then the issues come out about uh, and the, the one that's really uh, galvanized people is plates the 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 charity that feeds their team, the Sacramento team, and and they were owed several thousand dollars. And and Yeah, they were owed over seven thousand, yeah. Yeah. So what what gets there um is that this is starting to really piss off uh 
rugby people because it making it's making the game look bad. Yep. Um, and, and, and a step further than that, it's not just making people look bad, right? So let's imagine that you're the manager at uh, whatever team it is. So you're the manager, you're in charge of figuring out who owes lunch or who, uh, who you're going to get your lunch through. Well, maybe you have a friend who's in the catering business or some, a, comp- a restaurant you've worked before because you've been in, in rugby. So you go use your contacts, your friends, and you say, oh, I know that this is something you've never heard of. I know we're not paying you up front. I'm asking you to trust me in our prior relationship. And so you're, you're going out and using your own personal contacts and going on the limb to set up these, these people that you're going to use, these vendors, these gyms, these, whoever it is you're going to use. And, and then all of a sudden you end up owing $7,000. So like in Sacramento, for example, Ben Parker is a personal friend of um, the people that run plates. And so they, as a personal favor to Ben, you know, partially were, able, were signed up to do this. And then they get burned. So not only do you, do you burn a company, and, and in Sacramento it happened to be a nonprofit company that does really great things in the community that and we all know that charities like this need money constantly, but you also screw over a rugby person and their local relationships. And, and that burning bridges all the way through and burning bridges on a, uh, on a, almost on a global scale. Um, Bruce, you saw this coming? Um, you've talked to some people, uh, a lot of people connected with this, uh, players, coaches, um, and you read Pat's piece. What, what are you, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? I just have to, I mean, it was a non-viable league, no matter how you look at it, it's, it's non-viable. And while I think that what was done was wrong, I actually, what Paul Holmes said was, I, I thought, pretty fair when he said a lot of money was spent. A lot of money went into this. And definitely people got screwed. Um, plates got screwed. They, the rugby community actually paid them back, which the rugby community is amazing. And the, the people in rugby are, <clears throat> are great. And that's what really makes the game great. And different from other games is a camaraderie within the community. And I I just think that, you know, the, the people who were administrators and everything else, they were very hopeful and coaches, they were very hopeful that this would work and but deep down they had to know that it was very difficult to make work. The players, you know, maybe they were pretty hopeful. Some of them are kind of delusional to think that people are going to pay fifty and seventy five dollars to watch them play when it's, it's, they didn't deserve that and uh and you had to see the writing on the wall when no one was at the games and if you didn't you're you're either burying your head in the sand or you're naive so you know if the local bar goes out of business they can give you a contract and say, yeah, we're going to pay you for the year, but, you know, and you're not bringing any customers in, and they, everybody lost all their money, and they decide to close up shop. You know, I, it, it's more complicated than that, but the reality is well, that's kind of what happened. I think the reason, and correct me where I'm wrong or where you guys disagree, but the reason I was so skeptical of its ability to get going in the beginning, aside the fact that I knew a little bit about Schoeninger's past, aside from the fact that I knew it was one person who was backing the whole thing, which are two red flags raised right there, was just how quickly it all came together, right? We knew it was furried and rushed together. And, it, you know, from the time it was announced to the time they got on the field to the they didn't have players, and, and I mean, it just, it all happened in, at, at lightning speed. Well, you know, what? apparently the step, they, or the, the step they skipped was a whole feasibility report. Let's see if this thing is even doable. Yeah. Let's, let's sit down, add up, okay, we're going to be this many Tier 1 players, that's 35, this many Tier 2s, that's 20. We're going to sprinkle in some international players on each team. Let's say they're at an average of, you know, Forty to fifty thousand dollars salary. That's this much. 
all right, that's how much the players are going to cost. I mean, crap, we sat on this podcast and did the math when we first talked about it, right? Yep. I, it, did, I, I'm not positive that the math of this is how much we're going to lose, this is how much we'll, uh, we'll end up losing if no one shows up, this is how much we'll lose if 500 show up to a game, this is how much we'll lose if 1,000 show up to a game, and this is how we're, you know, that math, of course, should be done by anybody starting a business. And he either didn't do it or ignored what it showed him or shouldn't have run the league. It's that simple. I mean, we did the show, and, and I, I started working on a spreadsheet while we were doing the show, and we started talking about how many fans you needed at – you know, a uh, hundred dollars a shot at a thousand dollars a ticket. Obviously, no one's going to pay a thousand dollars a ticket to go see the thing, but we, just to show how it's going to work. You know, how much money do you need in other income streams if you only if you get a thousand people to a game um, on average? Just we we did it, and it didn't take us that long. Um, and they uh, they failed to do it. I, my, I don't. My think, point is is refuting that, like, yes, if you start a business and you hire people and you do right by them and the business doesn't get off the ground, um, then you've done your due diligence and you're not the villain. But that's not what happened here, I don't believe. You know, in this instance, somebody bought a bar without a liquor license and without the ability, you know, knowing how to, to, to pour a pint. You start a business that way and make promises on that little of knowledge, then it becomes in my opinion, a lot more uh, you need to own up to the responsibility of everything that happened to you and everyone that touched the thing that you got going. But but there's also some culpability to the people who got involved. You, if, you go to work, if you go to work for somebody, you also have culpability. And everybody who went to work, every single person, without a doubt, had more experience and had more understanding as to whether or not that was going to work than Doug Schoeninger did. Not even close. Every single person, players, coaches, administrators, everybody knew. Vendors aside, that's it. But everyone who worked for that organization knows rugby better than him. And they would have had to understand that that was going to be a difficult ask. And it is their responsibility as the quote-unquote entertainment to bring in fans. Regardless of whether or not they believe it's their responsibility, it is. You are an entertainer. And if you think it's just a game... Nobody goes to watch games. They go to be entertained. The I get what you're saying. You're reminding me of a league of their own when they're talking about how they're going to close up the league and then, you know, then Dottie oh, does like the splits and catches the ball behind her back. I get what you're saying. I, oh, I never watched the league of their own. I, I know I don't. I could oh. kick through shits about movies, but best sports uh, movie ever made. The best what? <laughs> best sports movie sports ever movie made. Ever. Oh, uh, what is the yeah. league of their own anyway? It's, is that it's, the... it's about oh, the uh, it's about the the women's baseball league during the forties. Rosie O'Donnell was on a goddamn movie. I remember that about baseball cannot yeah. be the best movie ever made if Rosie O'Donnell was hey, but Madonna Sorry, was Hillary Clinton supporter. He was in it too. Who? Madonna. That was Madonna's prime. She was oh, actually she was good God. in that movie. She wasn't bad in that movie. Are you guys have you guys are you. you, you Stop! It's not the it's not the best sports movie ever made. Please stop! It's 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 no no. But all right, look look. Okay, this is the thing that happens though. Is that we got? I think people get blinded by stuff. Is that they they so wanted it to work, and they so wanted you know players so wanted to be professional rugby players, and they so wanted it to happen in uh, in the United States. And like you said, Pat. Talking to people, people who got fired and people who got who, who were owed money, people who were really having a problem with the guy running the league would say would end the conversation. And I'm sure they ended conversations with you saying, 
Uh, but you know what? I hope they really do well. I really, I really hope they do well. It's just we're so blinded. It's like it's not, it's not okay to just have it happen no matter how it happens. At some point, at some point, you have to say this isn't going to work because that guy's a jerk, or because it's marketed inc- incorrectly, or it is, uh, w- however it's put together. You've got to be willing to. Um, well, that, there's a there's a there's a term that we use in editing articles. Um, is kill your darlings, and it means that when you've got a passage and it keeps coming back saying that's not working, try this, try this, and the writer keeps holding on to some one phrase. Let's say the phrase is "ride the ragged edge of disaster," and kept trying to slip "ride the ragged edge of disaster." in the middle of the the phrase and eventually the editor has to say kill your darlings take the thing you love most out of, out of that passage and strike it get rid of it because that's what's holding you up and it's hard it's hard to do it in just a little passage of one tiny little article to take the thing that you love the most the game of rugby and make it professional you have to be even that you have to be willing to kill it because if it's not right it's not right yeah, look, I'm I'm with you. I'm not trying to say that, um, you know, everybody, every single player and every single coach that was in the league, involved with the league, knew well enough, Bruce, uh, that this they were taking a leap of faith, and they chose to take that leap of faith. And so they, they I I understand they opened them up to those possibilities, but at the same time, right? Like, um, <clears throat> if you leave your door open at night, um, and you don't you don't lock it up so nobody can get in your house and then somebody comes in your house, they're still breaking, you know, they're still breaking and entering. So I understand the point. I'm just saying, and look, we were all critical of the feasibility of the league, like many, many, many level-headed people throughout the American rugby community. And I would say most sane people were, you're skeptical. You should have a good, healthy skepticism uh, going into this thing. And those people either, made a calculated risk they were okay with or uh, put their head in the sand enough and, and kind of lied to themselves about what the possibilities were. So I'm not saying that there's any true victims out of the players and coaches, um, but at the end of the day, they, they, were, they were not done right by and they signed contracts and those contracts were breached and um, they signed new contracts and those were breached and, um, and, and things were, were not done the way they said they were going to be done. I'm not. I'm not fully sure of exactly how the contracts work, but I don't. And I also don't know if the if the business. Well, let me give you. An, let me give you an example. Here's one that's really troubling me, and, and I hate to you know backtrack, but some some critics of the article that I put out uh, would say that I didn't include the other side. Um, well, part of the reason I didn't include the other side is there's this function in journalism um, that's been long held and. And you can, there is no right or wrong way necessarily to do journalism. There's the current school of thought that changes. The way we do it now is different than it was done 30 years ago and yada, yada. But there's a function that, and a term and a cliche of being the gatekeeper of information that I, I think is still important. And, and one of those things is just because Doug has a rebuttal and, and something uh, to say against each and every one of the claims and accusations made in my article doesn't mean that it was a sufficient one or that it made sense or that it was right. And one of the ones you talked you know, we've talked about here is uh, like players going overseas and then receiving, not receiving payment after they went overseas. So for example, Tom Bliss at the end of the season goes back to England where he lives. Um, so did a bunch of other players. And he, uh, Doug says that he's in breach of his contract and uh, because he went back home. And uh, so he stops paying. Him. That's the gist of it. It's not every detail, but that's the gist of it. Well, in the contracts, it didn't say you can't leave the country. It says you need to be available to you know, make public appearances and uh, promote on behalf of pro rugby, yada, yada, yada. Keep in mind that no team has done any real promotions the entire offseason. Um, but it doesn't put any parameters to that. It doesn't say you have to be in the United States. It doesn't say you have to be um, on call within 24 hours of being able to be at a promotion or an, an event. Right, so it's reasonable to conclude as a player that he calls up, and say, hey, "We're doing an event next week. Can you come?" 
you got to be available for that. Well, he could fly from London to San Diego to do an event, but in Doug's mind, he can control whether or not they get to leave the United States. And if you leave the United States, then now you're not available because I could call you and say, be here in five minutes, and you couldn't be here. So in his mind, he was able to – that he did breach the contract, even though the, I've seen the contracts, and there's nothing in there that's like that. Um, so sorry, I, I know I took it on a derailment there, but you mentioned the contract. I've seen the boilerplate contract that's been passed around. And so as an example, that's one area where I didn't need Doug's side because I've got the contract. I, I, I've seen a few contracts too, and it seems that they're, they're standard boilerplate contracts. It's not, you know, um, there was the tier one, two, and three, as you would mention. I hadn't seen any professional contracts because I didn't know any of the guys. And the situation with Bliss going back and not getting paid is kind of BS. But on the other hand, he isn't available to do anything because he's in England. What, what, what define uh, available? <laughs> I, I understand. He doesn't I, 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 do anything. I understand. Define what is is, but it it the fact is that the league was losing money hand over fist, hand over fist. No question about it. Nobody was going to the games. Nobody, and anyone who was going probably wasn't even paying. So, but don't you think it's reasonable? Don't you think it's reasonable? that uh, for a player or a coach to assume that somebody, whoever's going to take over this league uh, is going to start it knowing they're going to take a bath the first year? It's, 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 it's not a matter of taking a bath. I mean, they were, they were waterboarded in the first year. But anybody with sensibility would have understood you were going to get waterboarded in the first year. You weren't taking a bath. The best estimation... So he said that he was – the numbers they talked about that they were aiming for this first year, if I remember right, and I think Steve Lewis was the guy who was quoted saying those numbers, was three to 5,000 a game. By the best estimate that I've been able to find, anybody's been able to you know, help me find um, or help anyone I know find, by the best estimate is about 1,700 a game is what they averaged or – not Based on prayer. the numbers they reported, they say they average. Not a prayer. But if no way, yeah, not a prayer. But still, if but still, me, still, it's about half of what they were that what they their target was. It, 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 their estimation was wrong. Their, you know, their number that they claim is wrong, and which is fine. I mean, you say whatever you want to say. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story, but. The reality is, this had zero, and I mean zero, chance of working. Was, uh, th- okay, you know, so, and so just sort we, of- and as you as you said, hey, I don't know if it was you or Pat who said we wanted it to work. Yeah. We didn't want it to work that bad. We didn't want it to work bad enough that we were going to go to the game and pay. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I went so- to a game. I went to a game. Had arranged with Steve Lewis. This was right after Denver. It was in Denver, right after Denver had moved to, from Infinity to Cyberfield at Denver University. I go to one gate, and Steve was like, "Yeah, just go to Will Call, and they'll let you in. Um, we'll get you a media pass or whatever." So I go to the gate. I'm like, "Yeah, I'm looking for Will Call." So this just is literally the gate, quote unquote. It's just a table with a couple of people standing there. So they point me up, you know, up the hill to the back side of the stadium for uh, Will Call. I go up to where she said for Will Call. I walk into the stadium, and I'm. No one stops me. No one looks at me. No one. Uh, will call was actually inside the building, so you actually had to get in the stadium, walk yourself down the aisle, walk yourself into the building, and then go to will call. So the security guard ushers me in and says, "Oh yeah, will call's over there." All I did was go and sit down at a bench. Now, I never was going to pay for the game. I had a media pass, but I never went and procured the media pass. I just walked in without any <laughs> so, money. So it was, it was like the, it's the honor system. How many people could have done that at that field? And Cyber Field was one of the few fields where there was actually some staff from the uh, – well, not one of the few, but it was one of the fields where there was actually some staff that worked the game from the venue. In San, in San Francisco, Boxer Stadium didn't give you anything. The San Francisco Parks and Rec didn't give you any employees. 
now when you rent out Bonnie Stadium and, 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 and uh, uh, or Bonnie Field in Sacramento, and you've got Bonnie Field staff. Uh, I think at USD down in San Diego, they had staff. I think in Ohio, they hired it or, or, or you know, they, they worked something out. But in Boxer Stadium in San Francisco, like, they just had to get volunteers to, like, sit at a table and hold a box of cash like you would at a club game. What, how many hundreds of people went to these games and were counted or, or we saw on, you know, the live streams that didn't pay? I mean, maybe it's not very many, but it could be quite a few, which is just brings up another point of why this thing was doomed from the jump. Yeah, we, we are just moving on a little bit from that, but, you know, you, you, uh, on the business side, let, let, let's say that everyone is treating everybody nice and everybody's paying all the bills on time and, and, and nobody's angry at each other. You still have to, like you said, you know, in, invest money. It's not just a case of investing money in paying the players. You have to market the game. And one of the things that this league failed to understand, and a lot of people have failed to understand in all the quote-unquote professional rugby uh, efforts that have gone on in North America, is that you have to – anybody who goes to a game, you've got to give them a reason to come back. Anybody who paid money to go to a game is something precious to you. You've got to give them a reason to, to come back. You have to – talk about the team, you have to market the team, you have to spend money on that, you have to get them on radio, you have to do all these things constantly to get them to come back. And nobody, you know, I know I sound old when I talk about it. You go back to the NA4, nobody did it then. That was supposed to be a professional league. That was just funded by the IRB, now World Rugby, and Rugby Canada and USA Rugby didn't do anything extra to get fans to the games. I went to a lot of NA4 games. I very rarely was would I call was I in amongst what I'd call a crowd. Um you look at all these different efforts uh the ARC, the other ARC and and it's just like this minimal effort to get people to come. The only organization that's really worked hard is United World Sports. And you know, I, I don't love everybody who works there, although I have a lot of respect for most of the people who work there. But if there's one thing you can say about every single person in that organization is after the USA 7s ends on one year, a couple of days later they're saying, how do we get 10, 20, 30% more people next time? How do we make it a great experience so they come back and they bring somebody else? You know, the United World Sports, the USA 7's Twitter feed is one of the more annoying Twitter feeds I, I see. But at least they're, they're – I mean, they are. It's just, it's, just, it's just freakishly annoying. But they're tweeting stuff about rugby all the time. So to remind people, hey, there's this tournament in, uh, in, in Las Vegas. It used to be my job on Rugby Mag to partly say, hey, there's this tournament in Las Vegas. Wasn't it great? It was fun. Let's go again. You got to keep doing that every single time, and anybody who starts a league in the United States has to do it double. Here's a here's a quick. Let's do a quick poll. When United World, when USA Seven sends out a, 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 one of their email blasts, how many copies of that email do you get in your emails, Alex? Uh, four or five. Bruce, you? I don't even pay attention. I don't know, probably. I I have. I have three emails, so I guess I get three. I have four, four emails, but I get like five. I think I need five copies. It's absurd. How many emails have we ever gotten from Pro Rugby saying go to a game? <laughs> right. Nothing. And USA Rugby, you know that their contact list. I mean, Alex, you would be able to pull it off their website as a spreadsheet. Yeah. Yep. Like it's not like it's not that hard to get but, to, but, and they. And, that's I blame the, half my inbox on, on them selling the their contact list to, to people that send spam anyways, whether it's fair or not. Um, but I'm sure that they could have procured that as part of their partnership. Doesn't this 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 is one of the things that is a little bit confusing is how was that partnership supposed to be? Because if you're gonna say you're gonna sanction a league as a national governing body and you've also done zero due diligence. I mean, zero due diligence to find out that this can't work. 
it's not financially viable, then how could you possibly do that? It that that's one thing that really doesn't make sense. And that's where I think that there's a little bit of a disconnect as to, you know, like there's the whole thing of USA rugby versus pro rugby. I don't know that either one of them have a right to be sanctimonious <laughs> about the goings on there. I mean, they could both say, hey, it was an abject failure and we both effed up. That's fair enough. They could both say that, hey, let's try to work together and make this work in the future. And is there a way to do that? It may or may not be. Um, is it, you know, isn't it important to point out that Pro is basically one man, Doug Schoeninger. He has an employee, and uh, uh, but he, the decisions are, and all the communications are made by one man. Doug Schoeninger in USA Rugby. Are you talking about the national office and Dan Payne? You talking about the board? I mean, you got to be a little bit more clear there because I don't. I some don't people know. like when Dan say, Payne are pre- are probably above reproach on this, considering all the timelines. Well, the board, most of it was around, but but in as you're going through and and you're <clears throat> in all these planning stages and everything that everything's the board and and then the board would have had to speak to Dan about it and and Dan and and, and Alex and then Nigel on it there there's been a whole lot of working together on a whole lot of things that they need you know how did it all work out? I don't know. I don't think anyone tried pro, to make- pro rugby Pro Rugby and Nigel Melville's dialogue goes back at least two years. This at least how many years? Any, it, it goes back at least two years. All right, so if it goes back two years this. in their dialogue. I think that predates pain quite that, a bit. It's, it's, it's fine. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, look, I'm not sitting here looking to blame Dan. I mean, Dan is a... Dan no, but I'm just guy. saying, I'm you not, said USA Rugby versus Pro Rugby. We're really talking about Dan Payne. Well, if you say if you want to say Dan Payne versus pro rugby, I I don't think that that's necessarily the case. It, it was Dan and Alex definitely did go to meet him, and they definitely tried to work something out and couldn't. Not surprisingly, yeah, you know, it, it, it there's there's an interesting blog uh, post by Tony Rennell, former Eagle, about uh, calling this uh, um, Bob Latham and Nigel Melville's legacy this this problem. Um, but it's if we blame Nigel Melville for signing this on and saying yes, let's do it, which I think we should. I think we also say that it is now Dan Payne's problem. But but if, if, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter where the blame was. Dan tried to support it, you know, it was like go to the finals and whatever. But nobody knows what the responsibility was supposed to be, that's and true. that's where. I look. There's no right answer to this. I said this early. When people do something for money, they stop doing it when they're not getting money anymore. So we could be costing ourselves a generation of players, two hundred of them. That, and that's a problem. That's what my problem was, in, especially with USA Rugby getting involved. Yeah, you, not losing. Firstly, you also don't have a right as anybody to give a exclusive to someone. Where the, who who where did they even gain that right to say you're the exclusive pro league? That 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 doesn't exist. You don't have the ability to to do that. A pro league could start they tomorrow. Don't have the ability they, to sell the rim and give away, you know. 35 or 40 years of volunteers work and hand it over to somebody else. It's absurd. Well, they they I mean, do I, have the right. To, they they do don't. Have the, no, they don't. Not in a moral right. They may have a legal right or in, in a world rugby stand. Like, dude, that whole world rugby and I, your self-determination yeah. is how everything gets done in life. It's too easy 
to go show up someplace where they say, I'm going to pay you and not give any thought as to where the money's coming from and to think, well, I'm, I'm getting paid now and not have that idea. Just as you said, Bruce, about um, taking on the responsibility of getting fans to the games, um, of understanding the economics behind it. So why were we blind? Why were players blind? Why did players quit and move and jump on this? Part of it was the dream, but part of it was not really thinking this through and thinking, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is going to work. There were a bunch of other players who opted to play with, uh, with, you know, with the likes of Nyack, partly because they might have had a job that they wanted to keep, stuff like that. But part of it was maybe they had a look at it and said, I, you know, I don't like what I'm seeing. And you have to be well, critical of even the thing you love most in the world. Well, people do make mistakes, and some of those people did. And they, they don't Learn to they listen. Didn't understand how the money was going to come. But maybe they were hopeful that it was going to happen. And maybe they were believing that the people who were in charge here were going to make that happen. And, and, and I think that the people who were in charge wanted to believe and did really try to make it happen. I'm, I'm not saying that there was a lack of effort. I'm not saying there was, there might have been a lack of planning. They may have been done poorly, but it, necess- it wasn't done to try to lose money, and it certainly wasn't done maliciously. There were things that happened after the fact that were like, well, goddamn, I can't pay that. He can't keep paying this, this, and this, and this. Sometimes you got to be penny wise, but you can be penny wise and pound foolish which some of these lawsuits may, especially when it comes to National Labor Relations Board stuff, and if anything comes into a class action, I'll tell you who's going to get paid in the class action is going to be the lawyers will get paid, everybody else will get nothing, but... Hey, I, I just got something yeah, recently uh, that I was part of a class action lawsuit, and I, I was getting my payment for it, and... Um, I, I worked out how much I was going to get, and I was going to get a dollar thirty-seven. So you know, I'm pretty psyched about that. That's almost a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So, but I, 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 I the point though, Bruce, social commentary, yeah. and I think that Pat has a lot more. You guys have a lot more factual commentary on this, right? But I just made social commentary. That's fine. Go ahead, Pat. Yeah, but your point is is malice. The the, the fact the fact that Doug. I mean, this is the argument you could you could argue. Let me say, I, I don't know for a fact he does, but you could very easily argue that he picked and chose his payments and how much he was going to make to make sure that it was going to be uh, financially um, uh, uh, unfeasible for people to go after him to reclaim the money that he owed them. Right? That he did that and 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 used it and. I, I know from people on the record that he did threaten to sue them, um, uh, or did welcome them to sue him um, if they wanted to come after him for the money that they said they owed him. And he's mentioned that to me. He said it in the in the the, the Q and A he did with Rugby Wrap Up of talking about there are uh, places for those battles to go down, referring to a courtroom. He, the fact that he was. Uh, basically holding over the head uh, people's head that he could afford to go through court without issue and that they couldn't in a lot of these disputes that shows malice well I, I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'll address that I will address that as a business owner I can so and I'm certainly not condoning anything that this guy has done so let's so what he's basically saying is he's trying to threaten people who are not really knowledgeable of how the court system works or anything. And so say, for instance, he owes you three or $4,000. Just use that as a number, which is probably relatively decent. If you were to go to a lawyer they would take about a third of what you have plus expenses. And, you know, most lawyers would make between 
two hundred and and a thousand dollars an hour, depending on how good they are. Most of them are around three hundred to four hundred an hour, um, and some five hundred, but most three or four hundred dollars an hour. It would take them three to four hours to do. They they're done before they even go to court, so they're not necessarily excited about your case at all, and and he knows that. Where that can work is if a bunch of people got together and, and it really so the rule is more than one, more than one can go to court and create a class action lawsuit, provided that there's evidence that this has happened to a few people, then the onus is on the loser to pay the to pay the legal fees. And that's how come lawyers like class action lawsuits. So even if you're only going to get $500 or $1,000, if there's two people who are going to get $500 or $1,000 and they could bill $150,000, well, Schoeninger has to pay that. So the law firms really like that. And that's where I think Schoeninger's opened himself up to a lot of serious problems. And the players and the, and the coaches and everybody else is kind of naive to this. But they also may not have their ducks in a row either. So it we're just starting comes to down. talk more. They're starting from what I can tell. They're starting to talk more um, from team to team and town to town and group to group. Announcers talking to referees, talking to coaches, and um, and they're starting to get bundled together. I mean, there's right. a group out. In oh, there's there's, there's no they're question. It's starting to happen. There's no question at that they're bundling together. And there's no question that there's a there's definitely a galvanization of American rug American rugby people against pro rugby. And some of the players who have been wronged may be may certainly be looking at doing the, those types of things. I now that said, and, and this is the other thing that we need to be very careful of, in the event that we go that route of class action lawsuits or something or you really hurt somebody with a class action lawsuit there they're talking millions of dollars and 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 that's just in legal fees so you can get really really hurt in a class action lawsuit and what what then happens is that any further investment in rugby professional rugby in particular is basically going to look at that and say, not a chance. I'm not dealing with them because that's how they react when business fails. And I'm not doing it. And rightfully so. So yeah, I think I think people can see through that pretty quick. No, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm not talking about seeing through that. I'm talking about, you hit the lottery and are you going to invest in this and say, but you know that that's, this is how this is their, this is their end game is a class action lawsuit. A do nothing to promote B do nothing to promote C do nothing to promote and D sue you at the end. I'm telling you, that's not, <laughs> that is not a way to attract investors. Not. All right. So this this dovetail into the way I wanted to wrap this show up is to ask both of you this: Does the experience here with pro rugby ruin the idea of pro rugby in the United States and Canada? Let's talk about the United States um, for you know for for any kind of investor or somebody who wants to come and do this again. And also, does the experience, the, the press that's happening globally about how it's fallen apart, does that ruin the idea globally of, the, of the, the thought that the United States can be a viable player within the game of rugby? Um, not, not as like their national team or whatever like that, but more, you know, do we have it together to actually support a real competition? So if we wanted... Global support for something, 
Yeah, so have we have we ruined it for the non-rugby investor in America, and have we ruined it for the rugby investor from overseas? Well, let me. I'll start because I, for, for starters, they pro rugby hasn't said it's folding. Sean uh, Junior says he's going to have a, uh, a season in 2017, so it's not going to start at the same time it started last year. Um, he says that he's going to uh, go to match fees instead of salaries. So in his mind, he's having a season that pro rugby is going to have its season. And USA Rugby put out that statement saying, we're going to honor the three-year uh, uh, original three-year sanctioning agreement. So pro rugby still could be putting something out, regardless of what it looks like, for up to two more years. So in the, we have to talk big picture. So even if we look past that, let's say they – keep going and, and doing this, um, then I can answer the questions, I guess. But the one being, uh, did it ruin it for um, having pro rugby? No, I don't think it did. I, you can look at every sport that's big in the world and that has professional. Well, I can't speak for the world, but in the United States, there are predecessors. There are failed leagues in front of it. Soccer having I mean, had how many failed leagues from the, the you know the sixties and seventies on up until the MLS finally got going in the nineties. So that had year after you know failed league after failed league after failed league. Football's had many a failed league before the NFL got strong, and then after even the NFL's gotten strong. So I think that the first failed league is just part of the process, and there will be other failed leagues before something takes foot. Um, so just the fact that. Uh, uh, he's come here, and I don't think he's poisoned the well. The one thing that you know people could look at are his attendance numbers. Do they look at his attendance numbers? Do they see the fact that he wasn't able to pay his bills? And does that make them get weary of whether or not there's a market here? Because I still don't think we found out if there's a market here. That's not something we learned in this because of the no marketing that they did. Um, but I think it, someone could balk, but do I think it ruins it? No. Bruce, you think? Yeah. Sorry. If there's a class action lawsuit, it's ruined. If there's not a class action lawsuit and everybody can figure out how to play nice in the sandbox and understand that there's a guy who, is, is, as much as he's not the nicest cat in the world or, or, or not, not a guy that you maybe necessarily want to go to dinner with, that he has lost a fortune. He's lost a lot of money. He spent, and, and as Paul Holmes said, he spent a lot more money than, than he's owed. You know, you're, you're, you're not talking about a, a ton of money that he owes people it, at this point now. And I would... I'm telling you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Is it that much? No. It's still... Yeah, it was originally reported in that article, but if you want to talk about other people that have come out since then, it's hundreds of thousands. All right, so now you're looking at then he owes hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he's either going to have to come up with it or USA Rugby is going to have to work with him and figure out how they're going to do this and how they're going to sanction all this and whether it goes to match fees or whatever or if people are going to forgive their wages off it because they couldn't get any fans to it. The reality is if it goes to class action lawsuits and it goes to stuff like that, it's definitely dead for a decade. And if it doesn't, and they can figure a way to work it out, then, you know, some people are going to have to take a haircut here and there, which is a, a salary cut, and in, in, it's a Wall Street term. Not, not that I'm a Wall Street guy, but the that's how things work. And if if everybody's going to take the, the litigious route, good night to pro rugby. If people are going to sit around a room and negotiate and discuss exactly how this is going to work, then it has a chance. I still don't think it's financially viable. I think that perhaps a, 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 a Pro 12 team or a Super Rugby team could be. I'm, I'm skeptical of that as well. Pro, pro, pro 12 teams and Aviva Premiership teams don't make money overseas. So... I don't, I don't uh, anticipate them making money here. So 
that's the the fact of the matter is we should just love our game. We should enjoy ourselves and we should create camaraderie and friendships from it and to sit there and think that we're going to get rich from it. If you do, you're delusional and or make it happen and you know champions behave like champions well before they are champions and as far as i can see in in the practice behavior of american players and the preparation of american players they are not behaving like professionals period end of sentence that's the way it goes and it's not it's it's a, to consider what they do compared to nrl players or other people prior to them ever even making anything it's night and day it's night and day college wrestlers night and day swimmers night and day it's you look at the way rugby acts as a sport relative to the way other sports act as sports at not talking the elite level i'm talking sub elite level and they are night and day in their behaviors and therefore are not deserving of money and they're crybabies and we need to act better to become what we want to become period end of sentence that's the way it goes and not everybody snowflakes need to understand that life ain't all that easy and you ain't owed shit and you're gonna have to earn it and just because you want it doesn't mean you're gonna get it and that's our problem right now that is true and i think that's a great sentiment to end this uh just because you want it doesn't mean you're going to get it. People people had to know that it was harder than it was going to be harder than it looked. And I, and as we've been talking about it, it it seemed like it was right in front of our faces. And uh yeah, we went a lot of us went ahead. A lot of people, a lot of very smart people just really really wanted it to happen. Um I don't think personally that pro rugby is going to finish Maybe start, but I don't know if they're going to finish a 2017 season. I think it's uh, been very sad how things have been going on. Um, And I think it's going to reflect poorly in the short term. But, as Bruce said, all we can do is be good to each other and and follow the camaraderie of this game. Um, Step up like people did for plates and, and... um, that will be what the legacy of the, the sport is. Um, USA Rugby had, you know, you, USA Rugby was asked, and a part of this stuff that's been going on was asked by Doug Schoeninger to extend the contract past three years, and they said no. And I think that that is at least one little step in terms of standing up to something and, and trying to expect something more. Um, and and I I think we'll... We'll see, we'll see how that happens and how it works. But um, keep an eye out for what Pat's been doing, uh, writing about this. Um, and uh, you know, as always, uh, read what's happening with Golf Rugby Report. But keep an eye out for hey. what Pat's writing about this on Rugby Today. Um, yeah, go ahead. If it weren't for Pat writing it, nobody'd be talking about it. That's true. Pure, I mean, and that's a. That's a great service, and everybody was scared. I wasn't scared to talk about it. You were scared to have me talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> but that's right. Rightfully so. We're, um, we're scared to have you talk about anything. <laughs> sorry, Snowflake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Pat did an unbelievable job, and really, I think, as it was one of the most important articles that was written in 2016. I think that it was a, you know, he, he stood out there and, and put his neck on the line, and I think that it was a a really brave thing to do, knowing the litigious nature nature of, of, of Doug, and I think that that was a, uh, 
was terrific, and I think he opened a lot of dialogue, and he also opened and and started the press joining in on this from either side, and I think that it was, uh, and I think it's going to do a great service. The only thing I hope that happens is that nobody really starts going to class action places or things like that, and then if that doesn't ha- if, if if people, then it may actually work out, at least that if it dies and goes away, then it can come back. But if, if people are going to lose heavy on thing on, on based on lawsuits, then it's going to be good night, Irene for a, a, quite a while. All right. Uh, Rugby matrix America brought to you by Eagle impact rugby Academy. Uh, that should do it. Terrific job, Bruce. And Pat, glad to get the band back together. Happy 2016 that it's over. It's been kind of interesting year. And uh, here's for a good 2017. Happy New Year, everybody.